Let's all stand together and look at 1 Corinthians 12. We're looking towards the end of this passage now, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. And you should be able to go online uh, at any of our messages and, and pick them up. We're trying to lay a healthy foundation for us on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Father, we thank you for your word that gives us a foundation. I pray that this church, Father, throughout our entire body, the youngest to the oldest, that we would take your word seriously, that we would be a people committed to your word and understanding the value and the importance of it, that we would not be guided by our traditions, by our tastes, by our desires. We'd be guided by your word. So let's have understanding in your, in your word tonight and capture it and walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Say hello to a bunch of people around you. Greet them in the name of the Lord. And Last week, we spent uh, a lot of time talking about the fact that you, me, individually, are members of the body of Christ. Not just the, 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 the universal church that transcends time and space, but we are supposed to be members of a local body. Most of the New Testament, well, maybe good portion of the New Testament is written with the instruction of how the local church body is supposed to function and our roles in it, telling us what the church is supposed to be. This is an important metaphor that shows us that we belong to each other. There's no place inside of the true Christian's heart to say, it's my life, I'll do what I want to. It's my life. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. No, you belong to a body. You have some obligations. Uh, we belong to each other. We all have a place to serve. We all have a purpose to accomplish. And it's more than just showing up once or twice a week and sitting in church. We are members with all the privileges and responsibilities that come from being members. We are members so that others and their gifts, we have the privileges of those gifts being used to bless us, and we have the responsibility for the gifts that we have to
to bless others. Now, I'm, I'm going to confess some things to you tonight. Uh, what we see in America today is really a, a, a weakened version of the local church in the way people approach the local church, the way we see it. Our culture has impacted, our consumeristic mentality has impacted the way many people see themselves in the local church. They see themselves as consumers in this world, and the church is just one of those places where I'm a consumer. So what they tell us today is that uh, somewhere between 12 and 15% of the people that attend a local church will stop attending that local church in any given year, that that's about the average. So if you want to see your church grow, you've got to have more than 12 to 15% of the new people coming in the door and becoming connected to the church because you're going to lose that many. Now you say, how do we lose them? Well, uh, you lose some of them because... Uh, people die. I, I don't like it. I can't, I've not found out anything I can do about that yet. People die. They go on to heaven. Their, their race is run. And as you saw just uh, a couple of weeks ago, last year we had 20 to 25 people in the last year who passed away and went, went to heaven. Uh, some people move. Uh, God leads them to another city or another state, and they pack up, and, and they move. And again, I, I can cry and talk about how they're out of the will of God, but they probably aren't. Uh, they're probably just going to where God's leading them to at that moment, and, and a, a certain amount of people uh, move. We've got some of our long-standing members in the next month or so who are going to move, moving to another state. I, I keep telling them it's going to be hard for you to teach your Sunday school class on Sunday morning living that far away. Um, so somebody else has to step up and do that. So those are a couple of the reasons that, 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 that people move. I would, I would vote for something different, but that's, you know, that's it. Some people, now these aren't a part of that 10 to 15, 15, 20, 10 to 15 percent. Some people come to church for a short time. They come to check out a church. And they decide that our church or that church isn't for them. They come, and for whatever reason, they don't connect. For whatever reason, it, it doesn't feel right for their life. And I don't have any problem with that person. Somebody comes to Calvary for a week, a month, you know, six weeks, a couple months, and at the end of the time, they go, you know what? This just isn't for me. Uh, I wish it was. Maybe they didn't make any friends. Maybe they didn't do the things we asked them to do. They didn't come to the welcome party. They didn't go through a starting point. They never got in a small group, whatever. Or maybe they tried all of those things, and it just didn't connect with them. And that, That's okay. I don't, I don't get upset about that, that person. That, they're fine. They're looking for the place, uh, a place to go, and, and, uh, and that's okay. Some people, their doctrine changes. As they go, they, they start, they hear some teaching someplace, and they get online and hear somebody they've never met, and they don't know, and they don't know what his background is or her background is, and they like what they're saying, and 
They may be the wackiest person in the world, but we don't know it because they live in some other nation maybe, and they've heard it, and now their doctrine all changes, and, you know, we're not going to change our doctrine. Amen? And, and sometimes those folks decide to leave, and, and sometimes we have to encourage them. I mean, it's painful, but the poison that they, that they can spew becomes worse than them, us missing them. And that, that's, that's, a, that's a tough thing. Sometimes uh, either the church members or leaders let somebody down. Sometimes we just blow it. We don't mean to. Uh, it's not intentional. Uh, you'd like for people to be able to forgive you if you blow it, if you make a mistake, if something doesn't get followed through on, something happens. Uh, you'd like for people to be able to just help you get better at things. But sometimes you blow, and sometimes when they walk away, you got to go, yeah, I kind of understand that. Kind of understand that. Uh, the ones I struggle with and have some resentment for at times are the people who come and they make a commitment and they stick around for a little while and then they just kind of drift off, for, they just kind of go someplace else. And if you watch their life, you'll see that there are some people. My dad used to put it this way. He said to me, now, Mark, you've got to understand. He, I remember telling me this two or three times. There are some people who are one-year people. There are some people who are three-year people. There are some people who are five-year people. And they're going to come for a year, for three years, or five years. And then they're going to go. And he said, you just enjoy them while they're there. But there's nothing you're going to do to change that. But the thing that I resent about that is that that cheapens the body. It, it, it weakens the body. It confuses the body. Somebody who is really connected with them is confused that they're suddenly gone. And there's nothing you can do about it or anybody else can do about it. But the assumption is something went wrong. And nothing may have gone wrong. Here, here's, here's the deal. I belong to you and you belong to me and you belong to each other. When we come in and say, this is my church, and that's where we want it to be, we, we, we listen. that's one of the terminologies I listen for in my conversations with people. When new people come to the church, they start saying, now tell me about your church, tell me about what this is about, tell me how you guys do this, and the terminology changes to, for, you know, I was with a, a guy who's been in our church for about five months uh, this week, and he was looking at me and he was saying, I, I want to do this, I want to help my church. When it changes from your church to my church, something's happened. You know, and that's what I want to challenge you to think about. Is this your church? Not somebody else's church. This needs to be your church where you're committed and where you're looking and saying, you know what, this is the family God's put me in. I belong to the people here. And, and truly, in every relationship God gives us, everyone, even marriage, there are righteous reasons to leave it. There's righteous reasons to leave it. But they shouldn't be easy reasons. 
You understand what I'm saying? It shouldn't just be whimsical reasons. It shouldn't be lighthearted reasons. And when it is, it cheapens marriage. When it is, it cheapens the church. And it's not healthy for us. And we don't get the full extent of it, of what the church can do for us, especially if, if you're, you're, that, that person's kind of on that edge. It, it becomes, you become very cautious how you can talk to them for fear of what's going to happen next. So you pray for me to always have a right heart and, and, and understand this. Wherever you're at in life, there should be a local church that you're a part of, that you belong to, that you're a member of, that you're investing in, that you're letting invest in you. Now, we go on to this next verse, and it talks about God's appointment. God himself appointing people to things. And he says, God has appointed apostles. Now, this has some controversy to it in the church today. If you look back and you think about this term apostles, I want to walk through this with you a little bit. Uh, There were 12 apostles that uh, followed Christ while he was upon this earth, recognized as apostle. One, born out of due season. That's Paul. And they had a specific role. Paul was the only one that skews some of this a little bit, but Jesus spent some time with Paul personally. He spent some personal time with Paul. Uh, first of all, they had to have been with Jesus from the beginning of the ministry. They had a personal call from Jesus. Jesus looked at them and said, come follow me. He Remember, remember he went up on the mountain and he prayed, who are these guys, who are they? and he got an answer who they're supposed to, and he came down and he called these guys. These were men who were witnesses of, his, of the resurrection. This is one of the greatest truths that we need to capture. We are called to be witnesses of what we have experienced in Christ. Witnesses of who he is in our life. These guys were specifically called to be witnesses, and the weight of that calling meant that all but one of them was going to end up being a martyr. They were going to give their life being a witness that they were not afraid of death because they had witnessed the resurrection. They'd seen the resurrection. These were guys who were called to lay the doctrinal foundation of the church. Jesus drew them close to him, laid the truth out, and then even after the resurrection came back and spent time with them so that they could lay the foundation of the church. And then he said, I'm sending the Spirit to be with all of you, to lead you unto all truth. Heavily upon these guys, they were going to be baptized on the day of Pentecost to lay the foundation for the church, the doctrinal foundation that we celebrate today through the Word. They laid the organizational foundation of the church. They had no experience in the organization of the church, but the Spirit taught them how to organize the church, and we find it when we read the Word of God. 
when you study First and Second Timothy and Thessalonians and you begin to study Titus, you begin to study through Ephesians, you begin to see how the church is ordered and how the church is supposed to work. They were empowered to do miracles. They had a special dispensation upon them to do miracles. And they will one day sit in judgment over the tribes of, of, of Israel. Now, in, a, in this sense of the word, they are very unique people. And there will be no others like them. Nobody else is going to be like these guys. They have a very unique place in the kingdom. Some take that to point that, that, that nobody else will ever be under the term apostle. But that's the only ones who will be there. And that, that the apostolic age, that all of that is in the past, that nobody else will be an apostle, that the apostle, apostolic position ended in the, first century, in, the, in the first century church. And certainly, these guys had a special role that nobody else will have. But that doesn't mean that there's not other, another role for people to be used as apostles. In fact, the Bible calls other guys apostles. Barnabas is called an apostle. Others are called uh, apostles, even though they were not apostles in the sense that these guys were apostles. So, looking at this verse as you go on, people who believe that there are still apostles today, some see, and there's a mixture in, the, in this group, some see apostles as an office ministry of the church. It's an office ministry. It's a, it's a place of office. In Ephesians 4, 11, they, get, they take it from this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the, the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. It's a, it's a it's an office ministry. It's, a, it's a, one of the organizational places in the church that other people uh, get to be in. Those who see it in these terms see the apostle, uh, the apostle as an office, not necessarily as what we call gift, a gift ministry, even though they would admit that they are uniquely qualified for this position. I, I don't understand the difference in that sometimes. In this sense, some separate it from being a gifting to an office, and they seem to struggle over what list to put the term in. Now, here's, a, here's one definition of apostle. The gift of apostle, read this with me. The gift of apostle is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to assume and exercise general leadership over a number of churches with an extraordinary authority in spiritual matters that is spontaneously recognized and appreciated by those churches. The apostle has this gifting of leadership that, get, that is broader than just one local church. Some say that the apostle has to also have the ability to go and start churches in fields of ministry, especially in fields of ministry that are new. So they would define apostle as a missionary. Some define it. Their argument is this, 
their argument is that the, that the word missionary is rooted in the Latin word to send. And that the word apostle comes from the Greek word to send. And that linguistically they are equals and that both are sent ones and so that both are the same. Now, I'm just kind of laying, I'm kind of laying out, they seem to go, wow, what does all that mean to us? Just kind of laying out what the arguments are. I believe apostolic ministry is still active today. I believe apostolic calling is still active. I believe it's a, it's a gifting of God. Call it what you want. Uh, I also believe there was a unique role for the original apostles that was unique and separate, but that there are people who have this apostolic ministry that oversee churches and in some mixture many times help start churches, help birth churches, send people. Maybe they go, maybe they send others, but they have a vision for starting churches and helping churches be healthy. And they have gifting to help that happen. Now, the second term that we come to of, of, uh, that's, that's in here of appointment are prophets. And in the same way, many believe that the role of the prophet came to, the, came to an end at, at the end of the first century church. They see the prophet as the local leader of the church when they did not have the Bible. You got, you know, some say a full Bible in those days to even get one made if, if they had one, which they didn't. The Bible had not even been recognized. The, 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 the letters that were written had not been canonized yet. There was no clear uh, Bible in, in a sense, but they were beginning to recognize certain letters that, were, that had been sent by Paul and Peter and James and, and, and Luke. They were beginning to recognize them as scripture but they had not been brought into a canon yet they had not been recognized by the whole body yet and so where we come in here today and we say hey we've got 27 books of the new testament if i came in here next week and said oh by the way we found a couple of more books of the new testament uh, if, if you had any sense at all you'd be going no we haven't no pat what are you talking about pastor to stop that don't do that don't do that because we have this, this canon of Scripture that's been recognized for, you know, a couple thousand, almost a couple thousand years now of this is what God, and there's qualifications that we've talked about in some of our other teaching of what brought those into the canon, what brought those into our understanding. And so some would say that these are people who had the ability to carry on the previous teachings that they had heard in the local church and apply it in time to the local church. Therefore, the church needed a unique ministry of men and, men and women who could hear God and speak the Word of God because they didn't have the Scripture as a foundation. And therefore, it was, uh, uh, this is the argument that's used, that it was, uh, you know, these, these were the prophets. They usually did not travel from church to church. And certainly, we can see the importance of a gifting like that or an office like that in the local church 
when they didn't have a Bible, when they didn't have Scripture. However, today we see in many passages where we are encouraged towards the gift of prophecy for us not to despise prophecy, for us to seek it, that it is a gift that builds the local church and that some people have this gifting. So one definition says this, the gift of prophecy is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to receive and communicate an immediate message of God to his people through a divinely anointed utterance. Now, I think one of the places where we get hung up is our tradition, our tradition puts that, Pentecostal tradition has a tendency to almost make that exclusive to church services. And it wasn't supposed to. It never says that. It can happen in church services. We'll talk about that more in the next couple of weeks. But this can be a very, this can be a, a word to someone. And, and the church is weakened, I think, because we don't understand that, that God may give you a word for someone. He may drop, you may be praying for someone, thinking about someone. God may just awaken you in the night. God just may move you in prayer and say, go tell them this. What happened to Ananias? God told him, go find Paul. I don't want to go find him. He's killing people. No, go find him. Here's what you're to tell him. What did God do with Peter when he was up on the, the house and the, the three guys from Cornelius' house? He, he prepared him. He said, they're coming. You go with them. You go with them. You know, so God gives these words. And as Paul came back towards Jerusalem before he was in prison, that stop after stop, he got prophetic words from people specifically to him. You're, the, the guy who owns this is going to be thrown in prison and tied up and bound up, and this is what's going to happen. And they all thought that meant he wasn't supposed to go. And Paul was going, no, I'm just being prepared for what's going to happen. I'm supposed to go. The, the, these are... These are uh, living things that should be alive in the church. Now, in our day, even in that day, all utterances were to be judged. Somebody saying something doesn't mean they just have power to say whatever they feel like saying, and, oh, therefore, we've got to do it. They get judged. Now, today... We match it, first of all, with the Bible. Does it make sense in the Bible? Does the Bible support it? So somebody comes to me. I'll just give you an example. Somebody comes to me, and they say, uh, I'm dating this girl. She doesn't live for God. She doesn't love God. But I want to marry her. I'm a Christian. I want to marry her. And uh, her mom's a Christian, and her mom says I should marry her. And, uh, you know, her uncle's a Christian. He says I should marry her, and, and I, I want to marry her, and so I've got confirmation that I should marry her. And you just go, no, you don't. you got a mom and an uncle who are hoping that you'll be her Savior. You're not going to be her Savior. Only Jesus can be her Savior, and you're not supposed to do this because the Bible says you're not supposed to. 
The Bible's the final judge on that. The Bible's the final. My dad had a guy tell him once, uh, uh, his dad was talking to him, he says, yeah, he goes, uh, Pastor, he goes, I just want you to know, uh, I love church here, I'll, I'll not tithe because God has told me I don't have to tithe. No, he didn't. He did not tell him that. His flesh told him that. His greed may have told him that. The, the God didn't tell him that because God doesn't go back on his word. God, God his, word is, his word is the foundation for faith and conduct for us. So it always has to match the Bible. And then the other thing it needs to match with, not only does it match with the Bible, it has to seem right to the rest of the body, especially the leadership of the body. It's got to seem right. To, when you hear that word, it, the godly people resonate with it. They resonate with it, and they go, yeah, that feels right to us. That seems right to us. So you see this where, where, where Barnabas and Paul are in the church in Antioch, and the Spirit of God moves on, on them, and it seems right to them to send them out in the ministry they're called to do. So again, you have the office of the prophet in the church to proclaim the word of the whole church, and you have the gift of prophecy that all believers are supposed to pray for, and as God gives them exercise and, and encouragement, they're supposed to use it. And we'll talk really more in depth on that in the next couple of weeks as we get into 1 Corinthians 14, where it really talks about this stuff. Now, the third thing is some are anointed for teaching. There's no controversy here. All, almost everybody consistently, consistently believes that the gift, gift or office is still function today. It would really be strange for somebody to say it isn't because then you'd just say, well, see, you're not called to teach anything, so we don't have to listen to you. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it's just one of those things that, that everybody commonly accepts. Teaching is the, the gift of teaching is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to communicate information relevant to the health and ministry of the body and its members in such a way that others will learn. These are people who are called to look at the Word of God and the culture of the day, the things that are going on in their world today, and bring it alive to those things. God helps them to say, okay, this this is what's going on in your world. This is what you need to speak to. And sometimes that means they speak really against the culture. So that's a, that, then you have workers of miracles and healing. We discussed those a few weeks ago. If you want to hear about those, you can go. Uh, go. But then there are, there are, go back and listen to those. Two other clearly defined gifts are listed here. Uh, people fit these either onto an extended list of the gifts. They, they, so they, they take them, and you'll see some, like I've talked to you before. You know, I've got a, one book at home that says the 29 gifts of the Spirit. Another one says the 19 gifts of the Spirit. Another one says the 9 gifts of the Spirit. And they fit them in there someplace. I really don't argue about it much. But under this extended list or under the 9 gifts, however you would fit it, there are two really important ones for us to understand that sometimes people exercise all the time and don't realize they're doing. The first one is helps. Helps is considered a gifting of the Spirit according to this. He calls it a gift in this, pa in this passage. 
A gift is somebody that is anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do something. Uh, this may be the broadest gift as far as people in the church of what people have. And it's this. This is simply people helping others in life and ministry as a service to God and the church. They, they just kind of naturally gravitate to people who need encouragement. They, they kind of naturally gravitate to somebody who is going through a, a crisis in life and needs somebody to help them. They kind of gravitate to people who have n- some other need in their life, and they, they just kind of help them. Now, the best way for that, sometimes it's a big enough need the church has to organize around it. The greatest way for it to happen is when it just happens organically through relationships in the church. And, and the best way for that to happen in all of our lives is through small groups. We get to know a small group of people, and, and people begin to really take care of each other. I was talking with someone just recently, and they looked at me, and I asked them, I knew they'd been through some things. And I said, uh, how did it go? How are you doing now? And they said, oh, I'm much, much better. And they said, Pastor, my small group was amazing. What happened? They'd come around and help them stood next to him, just did some things for him, brought some food to him. Somebody came over, mowed a yard for him, just did some things while they were going through this thing that helped them. And that is when you feel that leading, when you see someone who's going through something and God whispers, do something about it, that is the Spirit of God wanting to use you in the gift of helps to help somebody. And when you do that, the blessing of God's going to rest upon you, and the blessing of God's going to flow through the church. The church gets healthier when we see that calling, not just as a whimsical kind of thing, but as, a, as literally an appointment of God. God has spoken to me, and I have an appointment from God to go help my brother, to go do something for them. And, I, and, and when I step out and go do that, not because I'm going to get recognized by anybody, but because God has told me to do it. It becomes a great blessing, and the, the body becomes more connected. The body becomes healthier. The body becomes stronger. People's needs are met in a greater way when we begin to just help each other naturally as the Spirit leads us. So I remember a, a, a lady that taught my mom and dad in Bible school, and somebody asked her one day, what is a calling? And she said, when you see a need. When you see a need, you've got a calling. When you see something, you have a calling to do what you can do about it. To do whatever. God has now shown you a need. Do something. And this gift of helps is, is, is part of it. And I think all of us are called to exercise this gift from time to time. Some people are just really high-end, helps-oriented people. They know it. They find great life in it. And they're, they're kind of on the hunt for people in need. These are people in the church. If I have somebody in need, I take them to these people. Because I know uh, the next week I'm going to hear this avalanche of things that happen in this person's life because I connected them with that person who has this gifting. If you think about it, you probably know some people in our church like that too. And it, it, 
They just, they just keep coming because they have this gifting in their life and they find life in it. The second gifting that he talks about is administration. This deals with church leadership and organization. That some people are gifted to help the church see and do what needs to be done in its time. This may be people on a stewardship team who are looking at the, the finances of the church and saying, okay, how, how do we best use these for the kingdom? How do we best order these so that things are in the right place? And they're gifted. This may be elders who are gifted, gifted in looking at the spiritual aspects of the church and they are administrating, you know, whether it's church discipline or church order. Uh, these are, these are people who help organize and lead various ministries. You'll find administrative people down in ministry. Guess what? We can't do VBS without administrators, without people who take on departments and lead them, who can recruit people, who can oversee organization, who can make sure all the stuff gets there, people who can make sure food is ready, people who can make sure crafts are ready, people who can make sure lessons are ready. There's got to be administrative people. They may not be upfront people. They may not even want to be upfront, but they make sure everything happens. And they're gifted at those things. These are people who run outreaches. These are people who get behind efforts of the church. You know, I, I, was, I was with someone even today, and they were talking about a couple of things uh, on our church property here, and, and they, they were specifically talking to me about the ponds and what they'd like to see with the ponds. And, and I finally looked at him and said, well, what can I do to help make that happen? And, and he looked at me and said, I, I'm, I'll, I'll, t I'll take this on. What's he saying? I, I've, I can lead this. I can lead this. I'm happy to lead this. That's a gift. That's an administrative gift. That is, I'm going to, uh, Pastor, if you'll let me, I will charge forward with this. And I'm like, go for it. In fact, I'll send you some names of other people I know who are interested in it too. Because that, that's, that, that's, that's the gifting that, 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 person, that that person has. Many times, again, these are not upfront people, but they make the ministry happen. Administrators also accept vision. It relates to them when an apostolic leader or a prophetic leader says, we are called to do X, Y, or Z. There's something in that administrator's heart that goes, yes, we are, and I can make it happen. I can get involved in that and make it better. I can recruit people. I can put things together. I can make sure things happen, and I'm glad to get involved and make it happen. And when you give them a job, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Remember in the, in the book of Acts when uh, there was trouble about the distribution of food. And, and the apostles said, you know, it wouldn't be good for us. They said, it wouldn't be good for us to give up prayer and, and studying, the, studying and teaching to go dis distribute food. Let's pick some guys, and we call them deacons. Let's pick some guys full of the Spirit, full of wisdom that will take on this job. These are guys who became guys who are going to administrate an issue 
and make sure the church was healthy because of it. And they picked seven guys and they let them go. The church gets healthy when these kind of gifts are exercised and when a person doesn't think. Here's the one that I really like. I I had a gal come in to me, this is probably 30, 40 years ago now. And she came into my office and she laid out this, it was really a cool kind of vision of what she wanted to do, uh, what she wanted done. And I said, boy, that is, that's fantastic. Uh, I'm all for it. I'll support you any way I can. And she just kind of looked at me confused. And I said, did I say something wrong? I, I'm telling you, I like this. Go for it. She goes, oh, no, no, no. You're supposed to do it. I said, no, no, no. I'm supposed to be pastor. That's why I, I can support you. I can make sure you get resources. I can get up and tell other people who may want to be involved in it to get involved in it. But I cannot lead that charge and do this. And, and so those people understand. They, they get that. They, they know that if, if, if there's an outreach, every pastor can't be there. There may be a few that are there. They know if you got something. They know they're not, that there's other things that are going on. They know they're, gonna, they're not going to, when the tables are getting set up every time, that we may come down and help. We're not above coming down and helping, but we may not come down and help because there's other things to do. And they don't mind that because they, in fact, at times, They'll come around and say, you need to get out of here. I've had people come to me and say, why are you here? It's not because they, I hope it's not because they don't like me. (laughs) It's just that they're saying, we got this. We got this. That's the gift of administration. They've got it. Uh, Now, at the end of this list, uh, he's speaking about, again, various types of tongues. And again, this church had lifted tongues up to the highest spot of gifts. And Paul keeps lifting others up and kind of lowering this gift and saying, wait a second. Now, he's going to tell us later, we're not going to neglect this gift. But he's trying to bring some order into this local church. Now Paul pushes the point home. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If you understand the, the, the tenor of this Scripture, the questions have a negative implication. It's not like he's, like he's saying, do all people have to breathe? And the answer would naturally be yes. No, the way he's putting it, it's more like him saying, does everybody dunk a basketball? And the natural answer is no. With every one of the, the tenor of it in the, in the writing is a tenor of not everybody is going to do, not everyone does these things. Now, he leaves a couple of things off the list. You notice what he leaves off? He leaves helps off the list. He leaves administration off the list. Now, we need to have some explanation. He says, are all prophets, not in the office ministry sense, but we will later look and see that all all are called to eagerly desire the higher gifts. He says that in this passage, and he'll describe what they are in 1 Corinthians 14. 
He will define that. And prophecy is one that we are to all seek and it's good for the church to walk in and for everybody to function in where the Spirit of God can lead us and give us an utterance for somebody else. Do all speak in tongues? Not in the sense of having a message for interpretation in the church. Not everybody is going to come into the church body setting and have a message that is going to be interpreted or is going to be an interpreter of those messages. Not everybody's going to do that, but he will encourage all to seek the prayer language of tongues in their life. He'll, he spells out pretty clearly. Everybody should not only want that, that it's available for everybody, that this is not one of those things that not everybody's going to get, but that the people who will seek it will get it, and they should want it because it edifies them and strengthens them and empowers their prayer. As we understand these things, that each person can become more healthy and the church can become more healthy. What does it do to us? As we understand the roles of the gifts, as we understand the balance of the gifts, as we understand and begin to recognize this, several things happen. One, we're not thinking more highly of themselves for the gifts that we have. One, one of the things that you've got to understand, if you have a gift, if you're exercising it, uh, I am very aware when I walk out of here on a Sunday morning and I have the sense in my spirit that God is saying, well done, that I did very little for that to happen. I'm not empowered. I, I don't have the power to make that happen. That is a gifting of God if I sense that. The person who's exercising the gifts if he has any spiritual insight at all, doesn't think more highly of himself because of the exercise of that gift, he is humbled by the exercise of that gift because he knows he's done nothing to earn it, nothing to figure it out, nothing that, that, that's come on his own. It's all a gift. It's just given to us. And we, you walk in it with that sense of humility. And the church becomes healthier when people are walking, not in I am an elder or I am a, 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 an administrator or I am this or I am, but when people are walking with God's given me this gift for the common good. And it's, it's a gift of God. And listen, just as he gives it, he can withdraw it. He, he, boy, if you walk in pride, what comes, before, what comes after Pride. A fall. Uh, number two, it eliminates jealousy. We're not jealous of others' gifts. We recognize God appoints them at his will. And I, I'm, I'm told to eagerly desire higher gifts, but I'm, I'm, I'm also going to understand it's God who chooses to give them. It's God who chooses to give them. So I'm not angry or jealous or trying to overtake somebody else's place. It's God who gives the gifts. Uh, number three, we understand that we use their, that they use their gifts to serve. The gifts aren't meant to glorify me. The gifts aren't meant to glorify you. 
The gifts aren't meant to get something for you or to get something for me. They are meant for service, to serve other people. God has given me, he gives you a gift to be a manager of that gift, a shepherd of that gift for the common good. And if I use it for the common good, not trying to glorify myself, but use it for the common good, there's reward that comes with that. If I use it selfishly, <laughs> God doesn't like bad shepherds. So we use it rightly. Uh, when, when the gifts and when this understanding of this is right, walking, we, we begin to walk in unity with others. Begin to be open, more open to others. And when this is func functioning the right way, we're building a, the unique kingdom planned by God that brings life to those who are around them. All of a sudden, people are using the gifts of helps to help people, and people are getting lifted up. People are using gifts of administration to advance the kingdom. All of a sudden, people are using gifts of prophecy to give utterances from God to strengthen other people's lives. All of a sudden, as the gifts begin to flow between people and they begin to use them without any fanfare, without any, you know, trying to become somebody, but we just begin to naturally do what God calls us to do. Then the church gets healthier. People get taken care of more readily. And the kingdom is advanced. You see why this is so important? I want to tell you, I, I don't know many churches that get all this right. Here is this dynamic way the church is supposed to function. And we have a tendency to slip back into cultural norms of how an organization works and try to make it work that way. Listen, I am not supposed to be the chief executive officer of Calvary Church. Now, I may have to I may have to sign some things. I may have to legally, for legal reasons, be on papers that say I'm the president or I'm this, that, or the other for legal things to happen. But in the functioning of the church, what our call is in Ephesians chapter 4 is to train and release people for works of service so that the body may be built up. And so when the person with administrative gifts comes around, I want to release them to move forward. I want to give them power to go forward. That's what the body, that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, and when gifts of helps happen, it should be natural inside of us to flow. And, and I just want to encourage you, let's be praying for all those things to happen. All right, it's 8 o'clock. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, let's stand together and let's come on down the front and we're going to pray before we go home tonight. Listen, if you have questions about some of these things, uh, please feel free to send... Uh, an email to me at my church email address. It's on the website. You can find it anytime. It's real simple, mjohnson at calvaryspringfield.org. You can email me anytime. We'll come back in here, and, and if it's an individual question, we'll try to answer it with you. We'll get to it as soon as we can. Uh, I will tell you I have about 200, 200 unopened emails right now, so you pray for me. Um, 
uh, or we'll, we'll try to answer them in here. Can we just take a minute and pray for God's will to be done in our church? Amen. Just lift, just lift our church up before the Lord for a minute, and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, once again, I stand before you to say that I, I love this church. I love the men and women, boys and girls who come here and want the best for them. Father, I love this community, and I want our church to love our community. Father, my prayer is that we would be a spirit-empowered body of believers. Uh, Father, we know that means we'd be foreigners and aliens in this world, and the world wouldn't always understand it. It doesn't mean we have to act weird. It means we have to act under your anointing. And, Lord, when we do that, we know your power. I pray that the gift of helps would just flow more freely in our church than it ever has. I thank you for how well it flows right now. <coughs> Help people to see that they're walking in this gifting. I pray for a gift of administration to flow more freely than it's ever flown before and that, that people who have leadership gifts and, and that you give individual vision to for different things would rise to the top and take ownership and leadership and uh, begin to help accomplish things for your kingdom. Uh, Father, I, I pray that the gift of prophecy would flow through our church and you would give, give us divine utterances, give us words, <coughs> that will encourage and strengthen the body, we pray. I pray, Father, that the men and women of our church would, would long to be, desire to be, spirit-filled to the point where they have the prayer language that you would give them that would edify their spirit and would build them and strengthen them. We, we pray that the full giftings of the spirit would take place. Father, apostolic leadership, prophetic leadership would flow through our fellowship in all these ways, and that, Father, this would be our church. The one you, you that, Father, our, our unity together would be glorifying to your name. I, I pray you'd raise up people with faith to see people healed and that people would get healed. Lord, we just continue to lift up our children that come here with autism. Father, we, we just pray you begin to heal. Begin to heal them, Father. Begin to set them free. Do what is outside the imagination of men. And do what only you can do and let your name be glorified because of it. Uh, Father, we pray you'd put a burden in our heart for lost people and help us to boldly share in their life. And as Vacation Bible School comes, we pray that you would plant your word in that week so deeply in children's lives that they would never escape it, that your spirit and your word would live within them forever and that, Father, 
as we come to the end of that week, families would come to know your son. Lord, we just, we just lift up the needs of our church. Father, there are some in this room, there are some in our, in our fellowship who have physical needs. We pray for Tess down in, in Guatemala who's been sick this week, that you touch her and heal her and give her complete peace. We pray for others who are going through physical needs, you touch them. Yeah, you know people who have other needs in their life, whether it's jobs or Father, decisions that they have to make that you just bless them and give them direction. We just pray a prayer of faith as we come to Sunday morning. After Sunday morning, let people begin to see with new eyes of faith, to see with a new lens all the situations of their life that we can live for your glory. Let your joy be in us. Let your peace be upon every person and let every broken heart find the healing of your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you. Go in the name of the Lord. May his joy be in your heart today.